Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. It's another Bisexual Brunch with Nikki Hodgson, Lewis Oakley and Ashley Byrne. If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, we would be living in a totally different format. We as journalists and activists have always found it very difficult to find people who will openly talk about being bisexual. Just don't think there are enough bi perspectives on bi issues. I feel like we've got to talk about it because we're really comfortable doing that. It can be really intimidating. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. I've always found myself at the mercy of gay and straight advice. You can have a bit of competition to see who's the better bisexual bruncher. This is Bisexual Brunch. So it's another bisexual brunch. And uh, we have to say that poor old Nikki has been a bit under the weather uh, this week. We're hoping to record a little bit earlier this week. But what's been wrong, Nikki? How are you feeling? I'm okay. First, I thought I had COVID which luckily I didn't, so that's good. But then I, it just, just turns out that I have depression again and I haven't had it for years, like at least five or six years. And I've, I've only had it once in my life, badly, and I had antidepressants and it was fine. So I basically had to like figure out what was going on and then um, it felt very physical, but it isn't, you know, it's 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 a combination of things. So yeah, the doctor disagreed. Go back on antidepressants and see how you feel. It's just lockdown. It's just getting to me. But I absolutely refuse to be beaten by lockdown. So I'm here and determined to just keep up with all the good stuff. But you do well. le- you do lead quite a quite a busy life, don't you? I mean, as well as doing bisexual brunch, you're you know often on the news reviewing the papers at some ridiculous hour in the morning, and you yeah. know because you're you're a freelancer, aren't you? You're doing lots, juggling lots of other different projects and. You have to do that, don't you, to keep going, keep moving, really, you know. Yeah, I mean, anybody who's freelance knows, especially now, the feeling is you just don't let the work go, like everybody, because everybody wants to maximise what they're making. But the reality is, as a freelancer, sometimes you work past your comfort point or even a pain point. And I think I've basically just done myself in a bit, to be honest. So I'm just going to try and take it a little bit easier, at least we get out of lockdown until spring's here. I've filled my house with hyacinths. (laughs) <laughs> as some kind of strategy it, it does smell pretty disgusting at this point now like I do like them but I don't like it when they're really overpowering and the house is a bit funereal well this is <laughs> this is now when you could do with getting this uh, this dog on a permanent basis then isn't it really so the good thing about me not feeling well is that my husband has agreed to let me get a dog so this is like the ultimate news of the week of the year to be honest apart from us coming out of lockdown when we eventually do so I've been in the thick of talking to loads of people, breeders, and it's really complicated getting a dog, you know. There's so much to consider. It's not going to be a... I thought it was going to be like, I'd think about it and I'd have one here by next week, but it's not going to be like that. <laughs> and uh, and Lewis, how's things going at your end? Are you still enjoying fatherhood? I mean, it's... Um, I don't know if enjoying's the word. I mean, yeah, enjoying is the word. Um, it's great. It is hard in lockdown. So we've got the 11-year-old homeschooling. We've got the four-month-old not sleeping, working from home as well. Um, it's a lot. It's one of those things. I'm trying to get back to some sense of normalcy. I wrote my first bisexual article of the year the other day, but, like, the pitch for it. And I just haven't even found time to, like, pitch it out yet. And I'm just like, what kind of bisexual activist am I? I'm just 
held down by like babies and lockdown and work. It's just, I, I don't know. I think we're all, we're all getting there, right? With 2021, we're like, right, we've, we've got to have a better year than last year. Just like, we, we must. <laughs> but just trying to find the time to do it. And every day is Groundhog Day. I was saying to my other half, I was like, I really want to watch Groundhog Day because it really sums up like <laughs> the, the theme. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm I'm ridiculously busy. Um, all the deadlines that people sort of ignored in December and said, Oh, don't worry, it's Christmas, celebrate, blah, 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 blah. And I kept saying January, February is gonna be horrendous. It's exactly what it is. It's absolutely horrendous, and uh, every year is exactly the same. Because um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not freelance, but I run my own company, and it's just, um, yeah, it's all a bit of a nightmare, really. But, uh, but anyway, we've uh, gone, Lewis. I was going to say, I do wonder, like, why it's so intense. Because you would, you could argue, well, now that you're not distracted by your social lives, and you're just stuck in your houses, you can get it all done now. And it's just, it's like, it's, the it's not. It's like, yeah, I understand <laughs> I've got more time, but I'm just like not getting this done. Have you yeah. made more stuff or am I slower at the stuff? I don't know. No, it's like you need your life to motivate you. You need people, you need rest, you need dinners, you need drinks, you need all that good stuff. And that's what keeps you going with your work. You can't just work all the time, which is what most of us are doing. I work virtually 24-7 anyway on lots of things. But at least before, I could at least just go out and have a coffee. Have a yeah. little, you know, there's things you can do, whereas now you can't really do anything. I mean, the, the, the mantra is you must, was it, uh, you must exercise, but not so exercise, not socialize, you know. I do miss you guys, actually. I was just thinking that, like, Nikki, how many cocktails have we had just joking about things? At Too Ashley, many. You're in Manchester. Too many. I miss those times. It's been so long. I think the last time, was that when we did the photo shoot for Bisexual Brunch? That, my was, God, that was a year ages ago. ago. That was a year ago. Oh, my God. And my hair was really short, which you didn't like, and that's grown back, so that's good. You'll like me more. I would never have said I didn't like it. <laughs> Like it. I know that you didn't, but it's really funny and sweet. Okay. Oh God, I'm going to get in trouble for that. That's You're not that's what's going to start the Twitter. No. They're going to come for me now. No, it's not. I'm teasing you. I'm teasing you. I didn't like it short either. Actually, when I looked back at it, so everybody else was right. I mean, I was okay in the first lockdown, but I'm starting to feel now. It feels just a little bit as though you're in a bit of a prison cell in a way. Yeah. Um, and you know. And I think. Do you think as well? Like it's. It's not just you, because sometimes you can argue, like, you're, you're okay. But when, say, like, other people around you are not doing okay, it's like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> it's one of those yeah. things, right, where it's like, it, that, that then has an effect when friends are calling you and telling you, oh, my God, everything's awful. You catch feelings from people. It's real. So it's like, mm. you have to try and... So what you have to try and do in a group when some of you down is just focus on the positive and buoy each other up rather than dragging each other down, right? Yeah. As we do each other up absolutely well, absolutely well well, <laughs> well one thing we've got all got a little bit more time to do i suppose in a way is actually catch up on on tv and film and radio and various things you know because we you know we we have supposedly got a little bit more spare time although i don't seem to have that much spare time i have to admit like you were saying but um the highlight uh of the lgbt sort of um sphere at the moment in terms of tv and film um, is this new series on uh, Channel 4 called It's a Sin by Russell T. Davis. Um, we've been talking about a little bit on Twitter, on Bisexual Brunch Twitter, and asking people what they what they think about it. It's on Channel 4, like his very first gay series, Queer as Folk, was on Channel 4 as well. Channel 4 brought it on last week and decided to make everything retro, so even the Channel 4 logos were back to the 1980s. And, of course, It's a Sin is all about 
um, the HIV AIDS period um, during the early 1980s, but from the perspective of how people in the UK um, were dealing with it, as opposed to we've often had films and stories around uh, HIV and AIDS hitting LA and hitting New York and hitting parts of America. And this is probably the first one that's really gone into detail of how it hit particularly the gay community in London um, in the early part of the um, of the 1980s. And um, I've watched two episodes. I think Lewis has watched one and you've watched them all, Nikki, I gather. I have, um, yeah. So we'll, we'll talk in detail about it in a moment. But, um, you know, Russell T. Davies is a brilliant writer. He's done a lot of great stuff, fantastic stuff. Um, and I don't know about you, but I always knew it was going to be quality and I always knew it would be authentic. And, and it is authentic. I remember as a little boy of nine or ten, watching stuff on the TV, the news coming through about this mystery illness in in America in particular. Um, Nobody knew what it was. It wasn't called AIDS at the beginning. HIV wasn't mentioned. It was this mystery illness where people literally were dropping dead. Um, You know, people were finding lesions on their bodies. There was all sorts of horrible things happening and nobody really knew uh, what it was. But it was frightening. It was frightening as a as somebody watching it, even in the UK at the time, because you didn't really know what was going on. We didn't know where it was going. Um, and I remember me interviewing Larry Kramer, um, the AIDS activist uh, from um, America a few years later for another program that I did called How AIDS Changed America. And he was trying to explain to me about how it hit that community of, of San Francisco and LA at the time. And literally, you know, people would be... Because if you remember, when it hit... Um, it had been a, a sort of a, a bit of a a great period for, for the gay scene, really, in a way, because the, the you know we, they'd had the um, things. There's lots of um, liberal attitudes are coming through because of the decriminalization de- 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 of of homosexuality in certain parts of the world in the 1960s and 70s. San Francisco was a great place to be. Um, you know, it was a time of YMCA and all the rest of it. Being gay was great. Everyone was celebrating. We entered the 80s in a positive way in the LGBT world as a whole. And and then bang comes this horrible mystery illness, and and literally, you know, um, people were would would dying within no time because there was nobody knew what it was at all, and you know, um, they they were, you know, it was it was the age of free love and people enjoying themselves, and you know, gay men went to saunas and would get up to all sorts of different things, and obviously bisexual men as well. And um, everyone, everyone starts to wonder, what are we doing? You know, we, are we, how, you know, we're, is something happening here? Are we risking our, you know, everything, the questioning came in all the time. And then, of course, over time, people started to think that promiscuity, it was all about promiscuity. And that's where the bisexuals ended up being blamed for things and all sorts of things. So it's a horrible, horrible, horrible time. So I do remember that. And so I think when I've watched this so far, I thought, yeah, all of that, um, uh, sort of gradual evolution of how people understood um, a pandemic at that because it was a pandemic and we're in a pandemic now, but that was a pandemic. It, you know, you can see that Russell has drawn on all of those memories, and and I think it, you know it's very very realistic. And the other thing I love about it is the little nods to more to lighter things from the time, things that you remember. So, for example, the Welsh lad who's in it um, is nicknamed Gladys Pugh from. Uh, Heidi High or whatever, because um, that was a character in a TV series that everybody watched at the time. And there's little tiny, you know, so the detail is there. Um, but the reason I wanted us to discuss it was to look at it from a bisexual perspective. Russell's writing is fantastic. It's really good. 
he's not bisexual. And there is a bisexual story to be told, I think. I'll stop waffling now, but Nikki, you've watched the entire series. Give us your verdict. Yeah, so I've watched the entire series. Overall, I think it's absolutely fantastic. It's incredibly moving. And um, me and my husband were both snivelling on the sofa watching it, you know, several nights. Like, both of us were crying watching it because it's just so beautifully done. And you can really... Maybe it's because we're in a pandemic, but you really can get into the mindset, I think, of some of those characters, the way that Russell's drawn them, you know, thinking about what it would have been like to lose your best friend and also to care for people when nobody else seemed to want to care for them because that comes across really strongly that we've got to remember that they were treated really poorly in hospitals, people that had HIV and AIDS, you know, they were left to die by themselves in rooms. They were, you know, they just were horrendous conditions in which to be treated, not humane conditions. So all that's done amazingly well. And it really resonates in this in this time. But I think for me as well, Ash, one of the things that doesn't really come across is any link to a bisexual culture. There are a couple of references to bisexuality in the first episodes, but they're never, they're not particularly positive, which might be accurate. So, you know, I'm not going to take that away from the writing, but there isn't really any exploration of the overlay between the gay world and the bisexual world and then the straight world. Because I presume that if straight, there are some straight characters in it that are very supportive towards the gay community. If there was that, then surely there were bi people too. Or I don't know, that we feel like we've been a bit erased from it, actually. I think you're right. Um, but I think thinking back to that period again, okay, I was only a little boy. Um, and it's the same now, isn't it? I, I just think it is that whole thing that it's not necessarily a case of being erased on purpose. I think it's a case of that the issue just doesn't get raised. I mean, somebody said to us on um, Twitter in response to us asking what people thought about it, and somebody said, "Oh, yeah, there were def- there was definitely uh, uh, bisexual people um, in the in the episodes." And I think he I can't I can't find it exactly now, but he mentioned um, the 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 predatory guy, uh, the guy who's um, trying to get off with the the chap. Who's- oh, of course, the the attractive Indian guy who, in the very first episode, is pit- pitted as predatory bisexual right yeah and you'll something, never get something like that and then apparently as the series goes on there's somebody who was who was but says he's bi but then becomes gay but these are the usual these are the usual narratives they're the usual mantras and i just think that and this is not you know it's not it's not attacking russell at all because from his perspective he probably won't have seen it from a bisexual perspective and i think none of us have really you know the only person i've ever spoken to who has actually uh, remembers that period has as a an active bisexual is Robin Oakes who we interviewed a few weeks ago where she said actually you know if you were bisexual you were you know you were basically the the, the last one on the list you know you were you were awful because you were the ones that were seen to be spreading it between the different sexualities what i did like about it in particular and this is definitely true of the time was that whole thing of um nobody really knowing how it spread and how you caught it and there was the the girlfriend, the girl who's the friend of all of them in it, and I've forgotten her name now. But um, she's like um, she's she's like questioning herself as to whether or not you know uh, she should be drinking from the same imp- instrument and all those kind of things. And that is exactly what it was like. Everyone thought that they could catch it in a variety of different ways. Something we've not really seen in this particular pandemic that we're in now. I mean, because I think we've known from the outset that it can be spread by 
you know, by droplets and all that kind of thing. But back then, nobody really knew how did you how did you contract this 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 deadly disease. You know what I mean? So it was a learning curve, and nobody was nobody was explaining anything at all. But yeah, my feeling is that I just feel. Um, I'm not going to go and say, oh, it's it's dreadful. It's you know, it doesn't it doesn't tackle bisexuality and it misrepresents us. I mean, some people on Twitter have said um, they were worried about it because they thought it would misrepresent bisexuality and all the rest of it. But at the end of the day, it is art, and it's done from the perspective of that particular writer and how he saw things. And I don't think we can go through through every single thing in life and have to tick a box for you know, art is art, isn't it? At the end of the day. And it's artistic license and all the rest of it, but it does it does say to me that there's a need to tell that story at some point from a, a bisexual perspective. What do you think, Lewis? Yeah, I'm kind of the same. Look, I'm not going to lose any sleep over the fact that it didn't, you know, tell the bisexual story. I just hope that there is a, a mini series at some point that does that does look at the AIDS pandemic from the perspective of three different bisexuals, one that's dating a man, one that's dating a woman, one that's single or whatever, um, and actually can tell that story properly. I mean, watching it, and I only watched the first episode, you know, it did make me sad. I know it's really one of those, it's a hard one, so you can't deny what happened and stuff. And I think I try and be so positive about the LGBT movement and where we are now. But, you know, uh, some of that stuff, especially with the relations with family and not being able to come out, I'm like that. I know friends that are going through that right now. So how far are we even coming this time? Um, so it did like strike it home for me. And even watching it with my partner, who's straight, you know, she she was like, oh my God, like that's what it's like for that person now, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah, like this is this is the reality. So I think we do need these things that come along every now and again. TV is a great way to do that, to just shock us and make us think and in some cases remember. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean I'm not going to comment too much on like the few little mentions of bisexuality through it. Um, it's true to its writer and it's true to its time. But I think that we could do one that looks at the bisexual thing. Yeah, no, most certainly. And the other thing is that I thought was quite interesting was um, just the passage of time in the sense that um, Russell, you know, no, remembers that time very well. Uh, I can't remember exactly how old he have been, would have been at that time, but certainly I think he was in his 20s. Or so he remembers it quite well. I was sort of in London um, quite a bit as a probably about 10 years later, probably about 91, 92. And... Um, even though things had moved on and obviously, you know, um, people were living longer with HIV and all the rest of it, the fear that there was 10 years before was still there to an extent. It was still existed, you know, it was still going on. And obviously, you know, the community had learnt to um, support itself and everyone was really, you know, in a way, HIV and AIDS brought the LGBT community elements of it together and certainly helped it along in, in, in many ways. But certainly the fear factor was still there. And I've spoken to friends of mine who who are straight who remember that period as well. And they say even for them, you know, that the, 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 it was it was a great unknown because for a long time with HIV and AIDS, nobody really knew where it was going. And HIV figures were still quite high for quite a long time. You know, it's only in 
in a way, I'm glad that this has been made and it's out there now because actually, for a long period of time, the old HIV and AIDS thing has been. You know, we talk about we talk about bisexuality being airbrushed, but actually, the HIV AIDS story has been airbrushed for a long time as well, isn't it? I mean, people are taking more and more risks now, aren't they? And uh, that's part of the reason because because it's not talked about, Nikki. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I watched. There's an amazing. Uh, BBC Four documentary called Year Zero, San Francisco Year Zero, I think it's called. And that's about when uh, HIV AIDS just unfolds in San Francisco in the first sort of 18 months. And it's just absolutely heartbreaking. But what comes across is just the sheer lack of information and the fact that everybody's kind of feeling their way in the dark with it. So I think, you know, I think we've we've hit a timely moment that this, doc, this uh, series can be on TV and that it can resonate with people and they are not prejudiced towards uh, gay people for watching it. Because I think if you'd have had this show come out maybe 10 years ago, that would have actually led to prejudice because we weren't there yet, I think, with our uh, our homophobia. So Russell, Russell of course, did, did Queer as Folk in 1999, but he didn't touch on HIV and AIDS at all at that point. Yeah, it's just way too much for one programme. And we all remember, I mean, I remember Queer as Folk. That was an amazing show for the time. So... I think he's. I think he's done something absolutely fabulous. But um, yeah, I mean, nothing's perfect. So you know, I'm not going to no, criticize it no, for that. Absolutely. One thing you alluded to, though, Ash, that I think is interesting to sometimes think about is is kind of like what you said. So I watched a documentary on this before. This was years ago, though. That was kind of saying about how the acceptance was, you know, growing, and then obviously the the. AIDS and HIV hit and it it really regressed everyone's attitudes towards LGBT. So it is sometimes, you know, where could we have been? I mean, obviously, you know, we we think about the lives that are lost first, but, you know, we've we've accepted we could have been miles ahead. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. If things had gone on and carried on. Yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, it's um, it's interesting to if you went back and just rewrote history again, if we were able to, uh, it'd, be, it'd be fantastic because it was a, a real period of hope around the late 70s, early 80s around the LGBT community. It was, you know, it's amazing, really, the things that were going on and then suddenly bang that this came along but it it does worry me a little bit that with the HIV AIDS thing that we that we didn't keep the the momentum going in terms of um knowledge about it because I do think there's a lot of young people growing up now who within the LGBT community don't understand the seriousness of what went on and also the risks that they could can still you know, because you, yeah, you can you can live for a long time with HIV and and whatever, and you know you can have a life with HIV, but it's not it's it's not a walk in the park. You know, it's not it's not easy, is it? You know what I mean? Well, it's like anything, isn't it? Once it stops being this, I mean, it's still a big issue, but once it stops being massive, you know, people s- start thinking they don't have to take it as seriously. You know, I mean, I'm really proud of the effort the LGBT community put in to to really fighting it. You know. I mean, I've been to how many gay clubs, LGBT clubs? You could never be in one without seeing, you know, a box of condoms on the side and lube. Um, and everywhere you look, every magazine, there is always that get tested, get tested. So although, yeah, some people's behavior might not always be 
the best. I think that as a community, we re- we've really kept that going of like, get tested, you know, we don't need to panic about it. And we certainly don't need to stigmatize around it. But let's not forget this. And you know what? I always joke about this. Like, straight people never get STI checked. Like, LGBT people, that's literally like, oh, you know, I've, been, I've actually been going, like, every three months at the moment. I know it's a waste of time. Like, I should have really only be going every six. That's the general conversation on the LGBT front. Straight people, it's like, what? I wouldn't get tested. What? What? Why would I get tested? I don't have anything. What? Did someone tell you something? I'm like, obviously I'm characterizing, but that those are my observations. <laughs> no, I, I think, think you're hundred percent right. hundred percent right. <laughs> while we while we continue in that little vein for a second, I mean, just just before we go for on and talk about something else, uh, let's just so let's reiterate, we reiterate basically. Yeah, we think it's a good series, but we think that um, somebody somewhere at some point should do the bisexual experience of of HIV AIDS because it was. Quite an experience for people who were living at the time who were bisexual. In fact, it probably kept a lot of people, a hell of a lot more people in the closet for longer, actually, if they were bisexual, I would have thought, at that particular time. So we'd love to hear from people. If anybody's listening who, who remembers that period, who was a teenager or 20-something or whatever, and they were an adult, an adult in that period who was going through it, and the fear factor, and you, you happen to be bisexual, please let us know because we'd love to hear... Um, your stories but Nikki just a slight sidestep before we carry on talking about Russell T Davis because he's been saying some other controversial things as well um, and we'll be talking about that in a moment but um, you had a particular moment that annoyed you at a fertility clinic recently is that right? Yeah so uh, my husband and I are thinking about having a baby which is I've, you know I've mentioned that on the podcast before and um, we went to a fertility clinic just to get some basic checks done just you know just check everything's okay and um, everything was fine and then the doctor dictated a letter to a secretary, which I got forwarded. I got forwarded. And it started off by saying, I saw this very pleasant heterosexual couple in my clinic today. And I was like, what? Heterosexual? I'm not a heterosexual. And I was so annoyed about it. And then I was like, well, for her purposes, you absolutely are a heterosexual because you've got a husband and you want to have a child with him. But it really got my back up. I was so tempted to email the clinic and say, how do you even know that I'm heterosexual? You don't know that. You've made that presumption. And I know that in a medical t- context, those words are sometimes used slightly differently, which is what it has been done in this fertility context. But it still really annoyed me. And I'm still quite tempted to email the clinic about it. I think you should. Do you think I'm overreacting, guys? No, no, not at all. Not at all. Do you get, do you get why I feel a bit annoyed? Like I get it's like, oh, babies, therefore... But it's just irritating. Well, to it's me. just I the mean, fact that she's I, using they're using the word heterosexual and just assuming that yeah. you're heterosexual, and and that to me just says everything about why we're doing what we're doing, etc. Because people still don't get it, do they? They still don't get that there are different sexualities out there and bisexuality exists well it adds into the whole invisibility thing isn't it and that's why we've still got these problems because two men walking down the street holding hands is gay and a man and a woman walking down the street is straight um so i don't i i mean yeah like why not but do maybe do it in a fun way be like fyi yeah i don't Um, want to make i don't want to make a big issue out of it but i mean i just want them to know that it, you know, if I've been, if I've, if I've had a reaction to it, somebody else probably has. And if we don't, if I don't speak up, then, you know. Yeah, I think if you pull them up on it, they'll never make that mistake again, will they? They'll be like, oh. Yeah, I think, I think that's probably true. So maybe I'll just find a careful or fun way to yeah. bring attention to it. But it's deeper, isn't it? If, if people, if they're saying that, then 
decisions that are made higher up are, are also influenced in this way, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? So, well, it, it just means that by being bisexual is erased out of this uh, this fertility experience because you're either seen as gay or straight for it, mm-hmm. and if you're bi, it's it's not an issue. You know, it's kind of not regarded. So, I I think I probably should say something, but I'll just not get on my soapbox about I it. I don't want to read the news and be like, bisexual writer has been arrested <laughs> after storming fertility <laughs> clinic Louise. and like chaining herself to the door. <laughs> Lewis, we all know that if the headline is ever bisexual writer has been arrested, it's going to be you and I... me. So Ash, Ash doesn't worry about it being that way around, do you, Ash? <laughs> not at all. You know what? I did once consider storming the offices of Twitter and I, w- I was like, but I couldn't find anyone that agreed with me. No one agreed with me that I should do it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I need someone to egg me on or I can't. Right. Well, I'll always egg you on because I always want you to get arrested, okay. not me. But I don't think you need much egging on increasingly. Oh, dear. Yeah. Wait till we're out of lockdown. Well, still to come on Bisexual Brunch, we'll be hearing all about some controversial comments that Russell T Davis has been making. When I say controversial, not really that controversial, but they've been causing a bit of a debate within the LGBT community and elsewhere. We'll be hearing about uh, that a little bit later on. We'll also be hearing um, what you think about our conversation last time uh, around what you'd call a group of bisexuals. We'll be talking about that um, later on on the programme as well. But before we do, after the break, and some important messages in the break, after the break we'll have our bisexual journey story this week. It's Andy Williams from Wales. You're listening to the Bisexual Brunch Podcast. Suicide is sadly something which affects people from all backgrounds. I got a phone call that she, only minutes after I had spoken to her, had killed herself. I felt like I've killed my best friend. I'm Daryl Morris, radio presenter, writer, columnist and professional northerner. I'm Professor Alice Roberts and this is Life Matters. Brought to you by the Zero Suicide Alliance. We do know that there are some people who tend to be more at risk than others. In our latest research, we'll be hearing what effect losing a loved one to suicide can have on young people. I have felt guilty and I still feel a little bit guilty for not calling her mother or calling the police. Whenever I see these kind of things, I would always call for help. From Norway, we'll be hearing from Inga Bjorg Blinheim and her story about how she became a guardian angel of a closed Instagram community where many young people have taken their own lives. A lot of people is ashamed that they have the, these accounts. They have really depressing usernames. So it's quite obvious that it is those kinds of accounts. This is Life Matters with Daryl Morris and Professor Alice Roberts. Listen within your podcast provider and visit zerosuicidealliance.com for a free online awareness course that could help you save lives. From the creators of Bisexual Brunch. Dale, how the hell did I end up here? Based on a true story. What choice do you have? Tell the world that Rock Hudson is gay? You're a good-looking kid. I don't have anyone else on my books like you. How about I start to represent you? A moving 40-minute drama based on the life and career of Rock Hudson. Yes! Good boy. You just made the best decision of your life. Written by Tim Fountain and starring Michael Xavier and Betty Bourne. Rock! Rock? Strong. Masculine. Rock Fitzgerald? Not Fitzgerald. Sounds Irish. Nebraska, Washington, Hudson. 
Hudson. What about Rock Hudson? Get your coat on. I'm going to introduce Rock Hudson to Hollywood. Listen by searching for the Distinct Nostalgia podcast or visit distinctnostalgia.com. We got to do something about your voice, kid. We're going to snap your vocal cords. What? Ah. Uh, louder. Ah. Uh, louder. Uh, <laughs> Rock. Winner of the BBC's first ever online audio drama award. Look, Dale. I'm dying of this godforsaken disease and pretty soon thousands, maybe millions, will die the same way. You're listening to Bisexual Brunch. My name is um, Andy Williams and I live in Cardiff in Wales. Not the Andy Williams. Although if you feed me beer, I will sing. <laughs> Fabulous. Right, okay. Andy, it's lovely lovely to chat to you uh, for Bisexual Brunch. And uh, you're one of the people who has been in touch with. A lot of people get in touch with us, actually, about basically just, just saying how great it is that there's a podcast, um, a regular online show that um, is focusing on on bisexuality. And most of the people we've heard from, actually, who are reaching out are men, which... I don't know whether I was surprised about that or not, but maybe I'm not because actually it, it probably is a lot of men out there who bottle things up for many, many years and don't quite know where they fit, etc. So tell us about your story. Where did it all start? You know, when did you realise or think that you were bisexual? Um, I've been thinking a lot about my kind of attractions and crushes going way back to when I was very young since, um, since over, over the last few years. Um, and I realize now that I've always had same sex attractions. Um, but I kind of grew up like lots of bisexual people do thinking that everyone must be attracted to people of all genders a little bit. But at the same time, I thought that because I was attracted to women, I had to be straight, you know, straightness is like the default setting in our culture, isn't it? For at least if you do have opposite sex attractions kind of thing. Um, it's like the air that we breathe. And especially back then, I grew up in the 70s and the 80s in South Wales, kind of working class community. I didn't have any bi role models in my life. Nobody in my life was bi, nobody in my community was out. Not many people in public life or celebrity life that I knew of every now and then like in the village where I lived there'd be whispered conversations that someone or other was a bit like ACDC I had no idea what that meant but it was kind of clear that it wasn't a good thing in the way that they were talking about it I wear my ACDC shirt like a pride flag these days but back then it was like okay that's not something that's that's great um so even though I had these same-sex attractions, it genuinely didn't enter my mind that I might be bi because I'd always been in relationships with women. I'd always had crushes on women. Um, it's a strange thing to get your head around, really. But the more I've read about like bisexual erasure and bisexual invisibility, it tends to make a little bit more sense now. I think the only bi person that I came into contact with like personally growing up was the boyfriend of someone I knew at college. And you'd hear people coming up with the usual kind of biphobic stuff like, oh, they're just greedy or, oh, they're just attention seeking or bisexuality doesn't exist. Um, and I, I found myself like recycling that stuff just lazily, you know, not, not maliciously, just not thinking about it. And I kept on thinking I was straight 
for most of my life. I'm 43 now. Um, I, I had, I'd had some really good relationships with girlfriends as a teenager. I met my current partner really young when I was 18. Um, and I've been in a really nice, good, long, strong relationship with her ever since. Um, and I, I've come to know that that kind of experience is pretty common for by people who've been in the same relationship from a very young age. You miss out on dating multiple people in your 20s like lots of people do. Um, and it's less likely that it's something that you think about a lot of the time. So it took me decades. I didn't really properly accept my sexuality until 2018 when I was 41. So yeah, it took me a long time. Um, and that's not uncommon, I don't think. Have you been open with people close to you about it? I mean, does your partner know that you're now, you class yourself as bisexual? Yeah, yeah, totally. But it took me a while to get there. It took me some really difficult years in my in my 30s. Um, I started to suffer with depression. I started to get low moods and I had this kind of hard to pin down anxiety that something was wrong in my life. And that was really weird and, and really troubling. And I just couldn't explain it from, from the outside to everyone around me. It kind of looks like I'm winning in life. Yeah, I've got a really good relationship. I've got two fantastic kids. Um, I've got a, a, a decently paid job that I mostly enjoy doing. I'm a, I'm a lecturer at a university, um, researching and, and teaching about media and journalism. Um, I'm a political activist. I've got a kind of, you know, a, 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 a like lively political life. I've got these things that I'm passionate about and, I'm kind of a confident person, um, but I was depressed and I was like, what's going on? I, I, every now and again, my like mouse would accidentally hover over the the gay porn tab on a porn site or, or I'd get kind of in a flutter when I was uh, like around a hot guy that I obviously found attractive, but I wasn't quite aware of what was really going on I'd get tongue-tied and embarrassed and I'd be like why and then whenever I kind of really felt or accepted the same sex attraction I'd really just like push those feelings back into the back of my mind um I didn't do that with my opposite sex attractions I'm not the, the kind of person who thinks that just because you're in a relationship that's long term you turn off your your attractions to other people you know I allow myself to feel these like inverted commas normal attractions to, to, to women without acting on them. But when it came to the same sex ones, my denial instinct, my repression of them, it was like ironclad. I, it was like almost, I was like unconsciously some of the time telling myself, it's not worth going there. Why open that can of worms? Um, Partly, I think, because either consciously or unconsciously, a lot of the time I was thinking if I'm attracted to men, that must mean I'm gay. Um, and if I'm gay, I stand to lose this family life that I've built and I love and, and, I'm, and, and, and is, 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 is such a big and important part of, of me. Um, so I was like, why can't I just be happy with what I've got kind of thing, which is so good in so many ways. Um, and what I didn't get until recently is that there's a real danger in in like denying such a big part of who you are there's there's this this big cost to repressing your attractions or or at least like half of them 
and not dealing with all this internalized guilt and, and fear and, and, and shame um, about same-sex attraction, which is partly about like internalized biphobia. It's partly about, as far as I can understand it, like, you know, culturally accepted ideas of what it is to be a proper man kind of thing, you know, no, 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 no queer stuff, you know, it's like, even though I'm a, I'm a, I'm a woke guy, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm on side with, 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 with all the right kind of politics, as I see it, it, it didn't work in my own self conception. And I think that was really damaging to me. So in my late thirties, I started to feel the effects of all this, you know, repression and denial on my mental health an awful lot worse um, than I had before. And it got harder and harder to like function in in work. It was making me really, really sad. Um, and I didn't make the link between this like, unhealthy relationship with my same sex attractions and my mental health problems for a long time. Um, which is really strange because, you know, I, I, and I still don't quite understand why, um, but I lived kind of closeted from myself for a long time. You had, little, I, you had a little secret, a little, a little secret, basically, that yeah. you'd, you'd indulge yourself in occasionally or whatever it may be. Sometimes, just made sometimes, a, but, 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 but really I didn't want to go there. I'd, I'd just push it back whenever it, whenever it emerged. And that was like such an unhealthy thing to do I, I i because i'd always seen myself as straight you build up these kind of defenses around your straight sense of self which are really hard to break down but it took me a while to break them down i did get it in the end um i had this marvelous epiphany in a nightclub in berlin where which was like a, a kind of queer nightclub um and i realized that everybody in the room was hot as fuck and i was like i'm not i'm not gay i'm not gay i'm fucking bisexual of course i am look around you these are all beautiful sexy people and this is such a kind of you know inclusive and positive space and this just euphoria washed over me as i had that like penny drop moment and and um that was massive it was really cool i was still like terrified to tell my partner about it um so how did you go about that how did you go about that how did you prepare yourself to talk to your partner and had she had she given any any ideas at any point in the past of what she thought about bisexuality no not really it never really came up i don't think we had any like friends who were out to us as bi um we did have friends who were bi, who I now know are bi since I've been out, which is a nice thing to learn. And that's like deepened our friendships. Um, no, she'd never really, you know, given me any like worries that she would be prejudiced or, or biphobic or, and certainly not homophobic. We've always been like seen ourselves as like straight allies, you know, even though I wasn't straight. Um, like we take our kids to pride and we've got, you know, queer friends of all all descriptions kind of thing um but still this is a big like truth bomb to drop on somebody that you've been with for over 20 years um i was really scared um and being an academic being a researcher i read the research and that made me even more scared i found this this amazing book actually by an australian academic called uh, maria Pallotta 
Ciroli, I think was her name. Um, and she wrote a book called uh, Women in Relationships with Bisexual Men um, or something like that. She might be somebody to have on the show at some point. She is um, pretty amazing in the work that, that, that she does. But like the thing I took away from that research was that something like two thirds of marriages don't survive after the man discloses their bisexuality well into a relationship. So I was shitting it, you know, I was like, oh my God. Um, but I knew I had to do it. I, I'd kind of come out to myself and I had to come out to the people I, I, I loved. So I screwed together enough courage to, to tell her. And I don't know why I was worried because, you know, she was totally loving and accepting and, and respectful. Um, I think she's found, you know, some of this, this journey over the last few years, difficult naturally you know it's been a kind of disruption to this consensual calm that we like kind of you know managed to achieve in our in our marriage and and our relationship um but she's been totally supportive every step of the way really had she ever suspected anything yeah <laughs> all right okay so um i when i told her she was like I thought you were gay when we met, actually. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> you never told me that. And she, and I'm, I'm not like a typical macho guy kind of thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I've always been in touch with, I suppose, feminine aspects of myself. And I think she was kind of picking up on that. So I was a little bit surprised. Um, but, I, but you're not gay, of course. But you're bisexual. Never, no, I'm not gay. No, I'm not gay. But that, it, it was interesting that she'd thought that when she first met me when I was like 18, um, that, that, that I might have same sex attractions in some way. I thought that was kind of, um, either just an accident or remarkably perceptive. Um, so I told, I told her and, and it was lovely. Um, and I was felt really like a, a weight had been lifted. And then I told my friends, um, starting with the gay ones, um, and I told my parents, um, and they were also kind of really accepting and, and respectful. And I've told my kids, um, because that was something that was really important to me because I, you know, looking back on it, I, I always had same sex attractions, even when I was, a, even when I was a kid. And if somebody in my life as a kid had raised this as a possibility, then I might not have been unhealthily repressing those desires for 20 years um so how so, did how did the how did the um how did your gay friends react really supportive actually um i know from listening to the podcast and i know from talking to by friends and from going to things like you know by by pride and by support groups that the the l and the g parts of the community aren't always you know universally supportive um but these are just individuals and friends in my life and they were super supportive they were super supportive and what did your kids say what was their reaction my kids my kids were like all oh, right okay uh, which is amazing isn't it it's like lovely um so it, it it's that, that that's what i wanted really i just, but I, you know it's like you know I, I i do remind them of the fact every now and again um and we still when when we well when we when we can again we'll be going to pride events again and like it, when i first came out we, the, the the world wasn't on fire and we were allowed to do things and like you know we we, we go to a festival 
um, in, in, in Cheltenham called the Green Gathering every year and we kind of work as crew on the festival and, you know, we participated in the, in the, in, in the queer tent in the campaigns area where we were, where we were working and I, I, I want them to see it as a visible part of me and who I am just so that they can be supportive allies or that if they experience, um, same, same sex attractions or desires that they know they can always talk to me about that and, and, and get support about that. And now I, I wear the flag everywhere on my on my jacket kind of thing. It's an important thing for me to be an out by man after being closeted for such a long time. You're 43. As you say, you had a bit of an epiphany in that nightclub in Germany where you, uh, <laughs> you, know, you realised everyone was hot, <laughs> um, which is fantastic. Um, but you're in a relationship a committed relationship, I presume. I don't, mm. you know, I don't know. Obviously, people do have um, open relationships and things like that. But, and as we've discussed on uh, Bisexual Brunch many times, you know, um, Lewis and Nikki and I are in relationships where we're, um, you know, faithful relationships, although I've been in open relationships in the past. Um, how do you feel about that? Because you've, although you've got this attraction, and of course you can do certain things to deal with that attraction sometimes, um, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, and I yeah. know, and I know, attraction isn't just about the physical; it's also emotional, and it's all about your identity and how you feel about, you know, you, you know what I mean, all those kind of things. But is there yeah, anything sure. in is there anything in you that feels as though you want to go further with this and explore further and? Is it something that your partner, you've discussed with your partner? I mean, how do you feel about that? I mean, you're 43. There's still a lot of life in you yet. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You go into a relationship and you kind of live with the relationship that you've got and the terms that it was set at. It's... um, it's difficult, you know, obviously realizing that they, you know, that there's another side to my sexuality, which is like under explored. And, you know, I, that I know people in my life who are bi, who are super promiscuous. I know people who are in, um, kind of, you know, poly relationships, um, who are really, who are really happy. And I know people who are in, monogamous relationships who are in really, who, who, who are really happy um like i said you know you, you're in a relationship you don't turn off the attractions and i've lived this long having all sorts of different kinds of attractions to to women and i could just add men to the big list of people who i don't sleep with in my relationship at the moment i guess and and like you say there's other outlets for your attractions and desires isn't there you know just being able to experience them in their totality and in their kind of rich and, and varied and colourful um, uh, spectrum is a really beautiful thing. I'm a reasonably intelligent guy with an active imagination who's got access to internet porn. I, I'm, I'm happy. You know, this is, this is, this is fantastic. And what about your, your wife? I presume, are you married? You presume you're, you're married? Yeah. yeah. What about yeah. your wife? I mean, you know, she now knows you're, you're bisexual, so she knows that you're attracted to... Uh, to guys so you're watching the tv and whatever you know have you found it easy now to and, and does she understand you know if you say you know you switch uh i don't know Coronation street on east enders or whatever it may be and there's somebody comes on you think oh i really i really you know are you able to be open with with her that you fancy another guy you know do you exchange yeah. notes on the matter as it were yeah yeah we do and that's a nice added dimension i guess since coming out that we i, th- I think we always kind of did a little bit you know 
um, it's taken on a different kind of flavor now, I suppose. And I can, like, you know, one of one of the things I can do now is like more openly with myself and her explore my tastes in men, which is like a which is like a nice thing to be able to do. So we do it in a little bit more detail and depth, I guess. Now uh, we haven't always got the same tastes, but we do have some remarkable overlaps. Um, yeah, yeah, we do. We're, we're, we're open about that. It's just a normal part of, yeah, our, our lives now. You've been together for a long time, so obviously there's a lot of... Uh, yeah, you know, like 25 years or yeah. something. so there's a lot of history there. There's a lot of depth there, and it's not as if you've suddenly brought this in after being out going out with somebody for six months or something. You, you know, you, she, sure. knows, she knows you really well. But yeah. uh, has it, um, you know... I hate to use binaries because, as you as you well know, listening to the program, I hate anything binary. But has it um, has it has it enhanced the relationship? Do you think being open and being able to be open has it enhanced your relationship with your wife? Do you know it's enhanced the relationship with with my wife by making me happier? Yeah, I was going through such a difficult period um an un- unhealthy period in terms of my mental health now i still i still have to deal with depression you do, once once you come out that's not over you know it's not like you come out and you it it you, you it turns off the the depression tap and you're, you you're happy i did have this like euphoric six months but since then i've had to really deal with it but i never really sought help for my depression before and my mental health problems and i did in the last year actually and it's made me give give me a, an understanding of how depression works. It's given me some tools on, with to, to to work with to kind of keep the black dog at bay, um, and and that has made me a happier person and a happier spouse and a happier dad and and a happier you know work worker I guess, um, and that means that I'm an awful lot easier to live with. And that has made the relationship an awful lot better. Um, yeah, that's the way in which it's improved things. Now, you said that, um, so did you say several people have come up to you and admitted the, their own bisexuality, have they, since you came out? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. People I knew who I didn't know were bi have been like, um, well, I'm bi as well. It's not something that I talk about a huge amount, but it's kind of cool that you are, and I, I, I like you better for it, kind of thing. And and there's a bit, there's the, I've had you know more of a connection with people that I work with, um, some friends that I already had since coming out as bi, and I think having friends who are bi that that I can talk about the whole experience with and just just be with in the the knowledge of our shared kind of unique outlook on the world has been a really positive thing about coming out because if I hadn't come out publicly in the way that I did and to the people around me in the way that I did, um, that those, those, those friendships would have been less developed and, 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 and less important and less, less of a, less, less, less of less friendships really, you know, lesser friendships. What do you think would have been different had you not waited or not been, you know, been in a situation whereby there were so many barriers to you being able to come out, um, often hidden barriers, but the barriers are still there um, at four, you know, in your 40s. Um, if you'd been able to be openly bisexual from the age of, you know, from very young age, from your teenage years, what do you think would have been different? 
I don't know. It's a really hard question to answer that, isn't it? It's like I have, I, 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 I have no idea and I try not to think about it, to be honest, because it's like, you know, I've had a really good life and I'm really happy with my life and where I am at, at the moment. Do I sometimes think, would it have been nice to have a different life with the knowledge of these, you know, multivalent and varied attractions that I've got now? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I trade it in, even if I could switch a magic, flick a magic switch kind of thing, because I don't think so, because it, it, I'm really happy with what I've done with my life. And, you know, professionally, we've traveled a lot. We've had a family together. I've done lots of amazing, like, and, and, and important, I think, for me, political activism kind of thing. And I, I, I'd like to think I still would have done an awful lot of that stuff, but it, I don't know. I don't think so. But is it a problem, do you think? Uh, and I presumably you'll probably you'll agree with me on this. It, you know, that, that you and several other people have contacted Bisexual Brunch and have you, actually Bisexual Brunch for some people has helped them come out, which has which is been fantastic for us to see that we're helping people in that way. But the majority of them are in their 40s. You know, yeah. this is, you know, it's taking them till that stage to feel comfortable about being completely open about their their sexuality and that is that is a real it's a tragedy tragedy and it's something which society needs to deal with isn't it really absolutely and i think the existence of podcasts like yours is really helping with stuff like that i think that the some some of the stuff that robin oaks was talking about about you know how she is really optimistic because of the attitudes to sexuality and gender um and and binaries in general among young people today that's really heartening isn't it you know it's like i I think there's no it's not an it's not an accident that people like me are feeling okay to come out at this point in time kind of thing as bisexual people i think that that's 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 a good thing that we can hold on to but it's absolutely tragic that society and culture um and things like bisexual erasure and bisexual invisibility were, were so such destructive forces for so long and that still most people don't really know what biphobia is kind of thing um and how it works it's terrible it's a really terrible thing there's so many i i I wouldn't but i wouldn't count it in kind of lives wasted but i would count it in things like the mind the, the the mental health toll that it's taken on people um that's an awful cost to pay for pre- internalised and deeply ingrained prejudice in a society, isn't it? Because um, you know we're talking now uh, about this, and I've said it before on on the on bisexual brunch about you know it being the tip of the iceberg. But you know if if, if there's you and several of the people in the forties who've been in touch with us about about this and decided to be open about it, there must be loads yeah. of people in the fifties, loads of people in the sixties, loads of people in the seventies yeah. and eighties who've bottled it up yeah. all their lives. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think you're absolutely right about the tip of the iceberg thing. I think, you know, it, it, it must, there, there must be thousands and thousands, if not millions of people in the world who are in that position. The only heartening thing is that we seem to be at a moment where it's a little bit different for the younger generations. But I think the work that you're doing, raising this issue and, um, inviting people to open up and, and like interrogate their desires and, and maybe to come out, maybe not, depending on their circumstances. But 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 to have like an adult, grown up conversation about 
people in their 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s who who missed out on this kind of golden age of acceptance among that that that, that this younger generation seem to be going through at the moment i think that's super important it's really important and it makes me really happy that you're doing it and that's why i'm here you know it's not quite it's not a comfortable thing to do to come on to a show like this and to talk about sex and your life kind of thing is a really weird thing to do but the way i look at it is that um i'm kind of privileged in lots of ways in my position you know i'm white i'm a man i'm in a reasonably well-paying job which is pretty secure and supportive of people of different sexual orientations and gender identities there's no risk of like you know backlash to me professionally i'm surrounded by good networks of friends who support me and a family who 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 does so even like really really strongly um so i think that especially for people like me it's kind of like the least we can do really to be a bit open and a bit visible and to maybe help people who were in the same position as i was like three years ago just who might be in my life who might see me so so i want to be doing in a in like a really super local way in my friendship networks and in my community what you're doing on the national and international stage with your podcast which is like you know it's it's in, it's important that we stand up and that we say who we are and that we we we're, we're cool with who we are now and that there's nothing to be ashamed of and that it can go fine to 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 make these kinds of realizations and disclosures to our families um if it's safe to do so the sad thing is not always safe to do so is it you know if you're in if you're in a you know if i if i lived in a different country even if i lived in a more conservative area of this country or a conservative area of the united states dominated by kind of you know religious bigotry and 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 homophobia and biphobia it would be impossible for me to come out into those communities especially if my spouse was you know sharing those kinds of outlooks and and and, and ideologies it, it's just really horrible for those for those guys in those in 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 those kinds of in in those kinds of settings but not everybody's in that kind of situation and sometimes we put up these barriers ourselves influenced by society and culture and prejudices that that, that are prevailing but you know i've realized that i really could have done this 10 years ago i probably could have done it 20 years ago if i'd been a little bit more open and honest with myself um did you ever and... in your younger years did you ever uh, i mean you mentioned you go to the um different prides and things like that but did you ever when you're in your 20s did you ever go to gay bars and things like that was it something you did on did you not really i didn't have that many gay friends when i was in college i guess you know i was in pretty straight circles um if i had i think i might have clocked and realized a little bit sooner um I, there are like I, I, I think the tendency is it happened to me i was the other way around because i tended to uh, i was involved in politics as well from a young age and i i i was involved with you know a lot of, a lot of men had a lot of men around me quite a lot of gay men uh and so i ended up being in you know gay bars and ended up with in in gay facing relationships and so it was the other for me it was the other way around it was the it was the heterosexual side of things that was suppressed which is probably yeah. a bit rarer in a way but but it does happen that you end up being you end up just falling into a particular zone don't you basically 
and feeling yeah, for that sure. That's... And I think I think you're right. I think so much of it is down to the accidents of the social circles that you're moving in at particular points in your life. Um, and for me, it was also the fact that I was in this monogamous, monogamous opposite sex relationship from quite a young age as well. So I wasn't likely to put myself in, in, or I was less likely to put myself in various different social s- settings. Um, and the ones that I did put myself in were more likely to be going out with my straight friends in, in mainstream nightclubs. And I didn't really have that many gay mates when I was in college at that kind of formative part of my life. Um, I did like, I've been like excavating these like moments of same sex attraction that I've had throughout my life for the last couple of years kind of thing, you know, as partly to deal with all the internalized homophobia and biphobia that I've kind of held for a long time. Um, and I, I can definitely remember being hit on by guys and liking it at various different points in my life kind of thing. But every, every single time that happened, it was like, I'd get to the part in the conversation where I say, well, no, I'm straight, you know, <laughs> it's like, and I'm in a relationship, both of which are really, you know, kind of conversation enders, aren't they? You know, so I was never really in the situation where I would be exploring those desires any, any further. So you were a teaser, were you? <laughs> I was not, I was not. But um, I definitely kind of had moments where, 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 where I realised kind of what was going on but I put up these mental defences around myself. And, and obviously, you know, as we keep saying, sex, sex, sexuality is not just about sex. It's also about emotional attraction and, and personalities yeah. and whatever. You might have also found, when you look back, that there were people, other men, that you were very close to emotionally. I think that's definitely true. I think that's definitely true. I was listening to um, another podcast recently sorry i'm i'm cheating on you guys a little bit Um, well you are bisexual after all (laughs) i know you can't trust us you can't trust us now i was listening to the savage love cast um and he was and dan savage was was talking about uh which is a fantastic podcast i think and he was talking about how lots of the kind of you know platonic friendships that 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 we have with people of the same sex can have this kind of almost romantic dimension which is an important part of the friendship even if nothing is ever likely or 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 ever will happen and i've definitely had really strong and close friendships with men which i think you know weren't romantic but but had kind of pseudo romantic elements or semi-romantic elements to them they call it a bromance yeah 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 for sure for sure and i think that that's been something that i haven't denied myself in my life and that's been a really good thing and a healthy thing we've heard about all this stuff of you accepting your bisexuality and all the rest of it um which is fantastic uh, <laughs> but what kind of you know if we, coming down to it, what kind of guys would you go for and what kind of women do you go for what's your ideal person i really enjoyed the podcast this week actually where you're talking about your types that's fantastic um is there a difference for you between men and women do you think in terms of the kind of person you would go for if you were completely you know single now and you know yeah sure sure um firstly i guess the thing to say is that since coming out i've been having these like almost indiscriminate attractions to almost everybody kind of thing which is weird (laughs) it's almost like having this second teenagerhood that you've got kind of thing you know when you're a teenager and you're 
you're you're on the bus and you're not even looking at anybody and you get an erection kind of thing it's like you know it's like what's what's all that about i'm not I, that doesn't happen to me anymore thankfully but these these kind of indiscriminate desires and kind of flows of attraction are quite overwhelming at times luckily i'm a middle-aged man now and i've got like the hindsight of 20 or 30 years of experience to like guide me through this second teenagerhood kind of thing but that said um I think that one of the things I'm attracted to in um, men and women is I, I, I've always been super attracted to strong women, really strong women, you know, like kind of politically, like political activists who I know um, and men as well. I've always been attracted to um, creative women and men. Um, and I've always been attracted to both uh, people of all genders where there's like a blurring of the boundaries between masculinity and femininity. Um, that's what I was thinking when I was listening to you and Lewis and Nikki talking about your attractions earlier on. It, it's like these... Nikki said mm -hmm. that, that she was, she'd got this androgynous sort of, sort of thing yeah, going about. Yeah, yeah. So I like, I like, I like kind of this... I like a kind of butchness in women and I like a kind of androgyny or femininity in men, for sure. I like people at the edges and in between, I think, is one of the things that I've noticed. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's just interesting to know. And, and But I also think that changes as well sometimes. I think there'll be, I think, you know, as I said, I said in the podcast, I think it was, you know, it's been odd because I tend to go for very, uh, I suppose I tend to go for more very feminine women and also not not feminine men in terms of camp, but soft, gentle sort of guys, really. That's what I go for. Yeah. But there have been moments when people have come along and completely surprised me. I thought, well, why sure. do I like that person? That's bizarre. That's just not part of the... So it, it's 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 down to the individual, isn't it, at the end of the day? Everyone's different and everyone's got a different Absolutely. personality, you know. Absolutely. And I think you can have these types and preferences, but it's never the way... It's never set in stone, is it? You know, you meet one person and it's like, oh, wow, kind of thing. You know, and it could be somebody that, that you wouldn't have necessarily thought you'd be attracted to. Um, yeah. The other thing that often comes up in bisexual discussion is um, the Kinsey scale. This whole oh, thing right, of 50-50, yeah. 60-40. You know, people think of themselves in different ways. Would you put a figure on it for you or not? Well, you've, that's something that you've asked a lot of your guests so it is something that i've thought about listening to the podcast over all the episodes which i've listened to some of them more than once by the way i'm a huge fan so this is like a massive thrill for me thank you um i think i'm pretty much 50 50 to be honest um and i don't think even though i'm in this you know long-term romance and, and and relationship and that that's monogamous at the moment i i don't think i have a kind of sexual or romantic preference for for either i can see myself or imagine myself in long-term romantic relationships with people of all genders what would help i think um it's great that you've been in touch with us and uh we're able to mean you're having this conversation now but i suppose what would help all of us who are bisexual and i have to say that i can count on one hand still uh the amount of people i know very close to me who are bisexual very few people Same out there here. at all. Um, what would really help, wouldn't it, would be to have the opportunity to communicate more with people that you know, some of these people who've come out to you and said that 
told you the bisexual about their experiences and to share that that knowledge a bit more and what we really need is some kind of yeah it's great to have the, the podcasts and things and, and shows on the on you know the radio possibly at some point tv's not still not really there with shows about bisexuality but it would be nice to have places to go venues and things like that it's all right having these groups and things here and there but actually we need something don't we bisexuality needs some focus doesn't it and it's not a lot out there what what do you think i mean do you think do you think we will get there do you think we'll get that eventually i don't know if we will i think i wouldn't disparage the groups and the community organizations um i've found some real support in um the bi cardiff group which is held like or before b- b- before the virus armageddon it was held once a month um in cardiff and just going along and chatting about life sometimes about bi issues sometimes about bi representation with other bi people feeling normal feeling seen feeling the kind of solidarity that can come from knowing that you have this shared outlook on life in a really important way and that you've got some shared feelings of the kinds of oppression that we suffer i suppose is a really important thing um and it has been really important for me um and the same for like nascent things like by pride like i went to that first one um in london i think was it 2019 um and i found that hugely positive and and validating experience you know i saw nikki speak and i saw lewis speak about um bisexuality in the media i found that super interesting because i researched about that but i just sat in that room and i listened to all the speakers and i went out and i just chatted to people and i went there with people from by cardiff the community group um and I maybe wouldn't have felt kind of secure enough to go on my own, confident enough to go on my own at that stage. So the community organizations that are there play a really important role, but they're so marginalized in the wider LGBT community. I was really surprised by that as a, as this person who thought themselves straight all their life and then realized they were bi and started to look for support and resources and community it, with a bit of knowledge about how much there is in the LGBT kind of umbrella um and certainly for for gay and lesbian people i was super surprised at how marginalized the bi community is how underfunded the bi community is relative to all those groups when i'd already been reading about really you know bi people probably being one of the largest subsections of that groups in terms of 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 numbers um it was shocking it was absolutely shocking so i agree with you we do need these spaces we need more spaces um i guess the difficulty is that so many kind of lesbian and gay spaces emerged from um how to put this i'm not sure emerged from um these really important social movements, which were fighting for social change, weren't they? You know, and and they emerged from visible oppression, didn't they? Yeah, and, that's and, the and again, isn't it? it comes that's back. It comes back down to the issue with bisexuality that yeah. it's invisible a lot of the time, and even within the LGBT world, it yeah, it doesn't it doesn't have a vo- basically people have to really make an effort to focus on the bisexuality dating say you know say you know people mm. use tinder and grinder and all these kind of things for dating now don't they 
Yeah. I think it's very difficult to navigate that world as a as a bisexual because there's nothing specific there and and everyone's most of the time again assuming you're one way or another most of the time unless you specifically say you are bisexual yeah. and then yeah. sometimes that causes issues for you because you're not necessarily going to be able to explore certain things because there'll be people who put barriers up again you know so it's um yeah, I just think it's interesting to see how this might develop. You know, I still think there should be... Surely there could be some buy bars at some point, for heaven's sake, you know. Wouldn't that be lovely? Oh, well, they're kind of they're kind of our queer spaces, aren't they? Yeah. Which are, which are a bit more bi-accepting yeah. than, like, you know, maybe the gay bars in the 80s were or something like that. I don't know. I wasn't there. Maybe, you know, but but it, it's like... So, so maybe... Like that umbrella term, queerness, is is a way around is the word, that problem. Is the word bisexual important to you? It is actually. It is actually. Yeah, I've got friends who, if pushed, would identify as bi, but who are like, "Nah, queer. I'm queer and I'm pan. I don't like bi." But for me, I kind of chose it because I think that there's because just because I like it and, and and it works for me kind of thing in the in 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 that Robin Oaks lovely definition way kind of thing you know it's it, but but really partly also because I'm a political activist in my backgrounds and I know that you need things which people understand and I know that you need things which people can kind of rally around and which will work in political terms when you when when used in discussions to, to kind of you know sway straight people basically and and influence politicians and and you're not gonna I, I feel like it's a it's a it's probably the most useful term that we have if we're gonna get the kind of social change that we need in politics that would make things easier for you know the, the, the people who are suffering mental health problems, the people who are suffering these kind of sexual health inequalities or domestic violence inequalities, the things that you've been covering on the show from the beginning. Because it seems that there's been a certain drive quite recently to sort of bury the bisexual thing and talk about things being more fluid and all the rest of it. It's as though people find... Which is which is why we we decided we were definitely calling it bisexual brunch because, um, in a way, if you start going down the route of, of of fluid and all the rest of it, it means that um, you're somehow, I don't know, hiding that definition of of somebody who is who who do is attracted to more than one gender and that sort of, I don't know, I, I, well I, the way I put it is I've got I've had conversations with people in my family. Who, who are very accepting of the gay issue, extremely accepting of the gay side of things. And we've had people in our family who we've thought might be gay and whatever, and we've had discussions about it. But whenever I raise the issue of bisexuality, of somebody being attracted to more than one gender, they can't get it. And the word fluid helps them to think, oh, somebody's trying things out and is on a journey. But they mm. can't, they're not able to, you know, it doesn't help them accept the fact that there is somebody who might go through life actually being attracted to more than one gender do you, do you know where i'm coming from yeah for sure i get i get that i mean i, I don't want to I, I don't i don't think it's productive to like police people's identifications and orientations and i see myself as pansexual as well as bisexual but I, i'm kind of using the bisexual badge i think for like instrumental political reasons really you know i think it's the best shot that we have of getting the kinds of political and social and medical changes that we need 
in order to improve people's lives who are suffering the kinds of oppressions that that, that we as a group suffer. Um, it's, it's the best shot we've got, and I think that it's worth using in that way for instrumental reasons. However, we talk about it in our personal lives and with our families and our friends and the people that we have relationships with kind of thing. Now, one of the things we're going to try and explore this year as, as much as we possibly can is bisexual um, culture and identity and trying to yeah. work out what we're all about. And Because I don't think there's been much done about that, really. We don't talk about it because there's not any role models, there's no... There's nothing out there. We, well, there's gay culture, but what is bi yeah. culture? You know what I mean? So that's quite interesting. So I suppose my final question to you is, um, what helps to define your bisexuality? What, I suppose, yeah, I suppose the best question to ask really is what's the, if you, somebody was to say to you, what's the best thing about being bisexual? When you had that epiphany and you fancied everybody, <laughs> um, <laughs> what what was it about when you thought about it a bit longer? Um what is it about being bisexual that is great? What what what's the best thing about being bisexual? Do you think that's pretty awesome in itself? We shouldn't disparage the fact that having the ability to feel attractions to people, irrespective of their genders, that is awesome. That is an amazing way to go through life and the world. Um, but the more serious answer is that I genuinely think. And this was before I came out because I always felt these attractions. I genuinely think that the outlook that I have on the world that comes from my sexuality, that comes from my orientation, makes me and some others and, and some other people like me less rigid in the way we see the world, in the way that we see the world in important ways. Um, and one of the ways that, and exact, just one example of that would be gender. Yeah. It's like gender norms and gender stereotypes are shown up to be even more bullshit than you kind of know them to be when, you, when you have this kind of outlook on the world, when you have attractions to people of all genders and you realize that all the baggage that comes along with gender is so like made up and so destructive in its effects and can be so easily avoided in the way that we live our lives and the way that we like, you know, like, like Nikki talks about on the show about taking the bins out and the boys jobs and girls jobs, things and stuff like that. You know, I, I'm, I'm really glad to say that, that I, even before I came out, I wasn't like that, you know, toxic masculinity guy. And I think that that's probably partly to do with my orientation and my outlook in terms of, in terms of sexuality. Um, so I think it makes us less rigidly affected by binary ways of thinking in general. And I think that's awesome. And I think that's one of our superpowers. Yep. Fantastic. Andy, that has been brilliant. Lovely to talk to you. And uh, great that you've been able to share your, you know, your bisexual journey with us. I mean, it's, uh, it, yeah, I mean, you've been on quite a journey, really, haven't you? You've, you know, you've, yeah. you've, there's a lot gone on and uh, it's wonderful that you've got a partner that's happy with it all and accepting and all the rest of it, and I hope that you know, hope that carries on, and I hope, uh, yeah, I hope um, everything goes really well for you in the future. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us. Thanks, Ash. I'm really pleased to to be on the show. Bisexual brunch is produced with love by MIM, and if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. Only on Distinct Nostalgia. When I ran out of children's books, I used to read from Woman's Own. Who knew a four-year-old would be gripped by an article on cross-stitch? 
we're uniting the ages with Generation Games, a series of comedy and drama monologues and duologues coming exclusively to distinct nostalgia. Stories exploring connections, friendships and relationships between people across different age groups, beginning with Missing You, starring June Brown and Sam Barnard. Mum thinks I need protecting, but I don't need protecting from love. Pity that social worker of his can't do something useful for a change. Contact the noise abatement lot. Put in a complaint. I like her, I said. And then, silence. What's the problem? I asked. Still take advantage of you, Mum warned. Missing You by Richard Verjet with the legendary June Brown only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. You're listening to Bisexual Brunch. Bisexual Brunch continues and we're continuing to chat about Russell T Davis because as well as his uh, new series coming out, it's a sin on uh, Channel 4 about the uh, mainly the gay experience of HIV and AIDS in the early 1980s. Um, he's also been talking about um, the whole issue of who should play gay parts. And he, um, remember, this is somebody who cast three straight men uh, to play three gay characters in Queer as Folk in 1999. Um, so that was then. But now he feels, Russell feels that actually it's time for gay to play gay and that gay people um, should basically always play um, gay characters. Um, he thinks time, you know, things have moved on and that's the way it should be. Um, and uh, some people have said, well, what about straight people? What about gay people playing straight characters and things like that? And uh, his, his attitude is, well, that's okay because uh, gay men have spent their entire lives, um, you know, watching how straight people act, etc. And, they're, you know, they quite easily play uh, straight men. What do we make of this? I mean, my my feeling is um, acting is acting. And I just, I'm not bothered whether somebody is gay, straight, bi or whatever, when they play a part, as long as they play it as authentically as they possibly can. Uh, and I actually think, I think it's quite, there's something quite nice about people playing different types of people and learning about how they might be. They might not be able to feel 100% the way that person might be, but surely that surely it's a good thing to... What do you think, Lewis? Um, well, I actually got asked this on a panel a few years ago at BFI, and they were asking, you know, do you think that straight and gay ca- um, actors should be allowed to play bisexual ones? I think they wanted me to say, like, now. Um, but I, I don't have a problem with it. My answer was, as long as they've done the research, as long as they've actually spoken to a bisexual, understand the context, um, and have done the research, then that's fine. But you don't expect them to do that with any role. I think it's... I think it's a bit ridiculous. I can I can see his point, right? And his point is obviously as a writer who casts big stars, why aren't you giving gay actors a chance, right? So that's that's the point that we need to, you know, make you know, make the world a bit better for gay actors. Fine. But but to say that, you know, gay only gay can play gay is just stupid. And if you relate it to only bisexual can play, can play bisexual, then we're definitely not going to have our stories told because I think there's probably only about 10 out bisexual actors. Um, well, on the male side, I know there's a few more on the women's side, but it, it's a slim pickets, right? But also, I think it's a really 
good experience when you get straight people playing LGBT roles. Because I think you've, you know, first of all, just because there's more of them, they're more likely to be famous, have a bigger name. So when they then come to a role like this, that it brings more eyes to it. So, you know, if you have a big star playing, you know, a gay role, you're going to get more eyes on it. Um, and that will change, obviously, as gay actors and bisexual actors become bigger and become A-listers and stuff. But we, we are where we are right now. Um, but I also think, you know, you think of people like um, Daniel Radcliffe when he did a gay role and he talked about losing his virginity as a gay man on screen. And I think sometimes when you've got an outsider coming in and putting themselves in that role, you know, their press interviews are a lot more interesting than just, yeah, I did this great film, go watch it. When they, when they can actually talk about, oh, no, as a straight person, when I put myself in that gay bisexual role, I realise this. And then you've also, and then you've got big stars talking about it. So I think that there's actually, you know, a value in some ways to having non-LGBT people play those roles. That said, the caveat being, yeah, of course, we need to create opportunities for LGBT people, people to actually tell the stories themselves. It's just about balance. I don't think it's about being extreme one way or the other, but that's such a bisexual answer. But, but the problem today is that we're made to think in that way, aren't we? So Russell will have come out with this comment somewhere in an interview and it'll be held up as being this very binary view and everyone then reacts to it. The usual thing. We know all about this, don't we, Nikki? It's the, it's the, the general mantra of the media today of everything being binary. I presume you think the same way as we do. I'm sure you do. Yeah, I do. I mean, I have some understanding of Russell thinking um, that LGBTQIA actors have been underrepresented for years. So anything you can do to slightly even up the proportion of representation is probably a positive thing. So I imagine when he cast three straight men to play gay roles, he just wasn't given enough gay actors. That's what I imagine. I don't imagine it's that there weren't good options. I imagine they just weren't pushed through by talent managers or whatever. So I would hope that this point in history, when he was casting It's a Sin, he didn't have that problem. Like he should surely have had a large pool of gay and bi actors to choose from. That's my that's my thinking. And I'm wondering if that his casting experience has coloured what he's saying a little bit about that process. That's That's my thought behind it. I don't know any more than that, really, so... Well, he uh, apparently uh, all the gay parts in It's a Sin were played by gay people this time, every every single one. But you know, I know actors who um, several actors who are who are who are straight who play gay roles, um, and people I've got to know. In fact, Craig Kelly, who uh, who played Vince in Queer's Folk, has become a friend, and uh, you know he it was a tremendous role for him, and probably you know he's done lots of things over over the years, but. He holds that role up as one of the biggest, you know, he's got such respect for Russell and all the rest of it. And I just think to myself, you know, and his character, the character he played helped so many people at that time. You know, there's so many, there's a generation of people who see the three characters in Queer as Folk as characters they identify with. And particularly Vince, because Vince was, the character he played was the sort of ordinary guy who was working in a supermarket. He wasn't particularly camp. Uh, he wasn't particularly promiscuous. He was just an average guy who wanted to, you know, live an average life. And I think a lot of, because um, by that at that point, we'd had a lot of, um, not not there's anything wrong with flamboyance and all the rest of it, but we, was, we were getting to a point whereby that's all you tended to see. So it was actually quite nice to see somebody who was, who was basically just an ordinary fella, you know what I mean? And the same with um, an actor friend of mine who works on Pobble You Come, which is the Welsh soap opera. He's played for 11 or 12 years, the, um, the gay character in that, who... To be honest, is you know, there's very little. Yeah, he's got a boyfriend. I think he's got a husband now, and he's I think he's divorcing his husband or whatever. But the great thing about that program is nothing. There's very little. There's very little made 
of the fact that he's gay. He, he just happens to be one of the residents of the street in probably probably you come and and you know it, it's really quite nice and and so what i'm saying is you know um there are people out there who are straight who are playing some fantastic um gay roles there's also people who are very much gay who are playing straight roles there's a guy in coronation street called ron mallard who plays uh, daniel who's um ken barlow's son and he plays the straight role in that very very well he's not you know he's not a a really hard sort of guy kind of thing. He's quite a, a touchy-feely modern man kind of thing, but it, wor- it works really, really well. And, you know, I'd hate to think that on the opposite of this, we say we suddenly say that, you know, gay people can't play, can't play straight. But the question about bisexual people does come out in all this because I think the problem is that there's two problems. One, I don't think that anybody really ever asks or, or ever really finds out whether, whether somebody's bisexual beforehand very easily. Because it's a difficult, it's still a difficult thing for people to broach or be upfront about or whatever. And the second thing is, I think it's even harder for people to understand what being playing, what being bisexual is, in order to play it properly. So I think we've got a lot of a lot of work to do on the bisexual front, really, in that area. I mean, it's not it's a tough one, isn't it? Really, because until we get more awareness, until we get more vi- visibility, until we until people recognise that the bisexuality really does exist, it, we're going to struggle to get those authentic um, interpretations, aren't we? Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with the writing as well, the writing, you know, we need we need bisexual writers and there are some great ones out there. And to Russell's point, maybe they're not being given the chance they need. Um, we just have to keep pushing, guys. I did have a drive that I wanted to do ages ago where I was going to get loads of bisexuals together to write loads of bisexual storylines, bisexual character backlines, and then we were just going to send it to every um, production company in the UK. But it never came to pass. But maybe maybe 2021. Oh, that's a good idea. The one thing that I do remember when I was writing my first book is that I it's a memoir about my sex life, right? So obviously, to me, I was going to write about my bisexuality. But I remember that the editor said to me, I think if you put that in as well, it'll just be too confusing. And that was the thing that was dropped. And now I look back and I think, how on earth did I keep quiet about that? But I was a first time author. I didn't, you know, how did I know that what I was doing was doing a disservice to bisexuals. I probably should have done. I should have been more aware. And I really regret it that I didn't push harder on it. But, the, you know, the editor, the straight editor, very sweet straight editor at the time was just making a decision based on, oh, there's just too much to cram into the storyline. But then why was it that the bisexuality had to go drop something else? You know, do you know what I mean? I mean, I don't think that would happen now. That was like nearly 10 years ago now. So oh, I think I think it would happen now. I think it do would happen. You? Yeah, I still think there's a problem with people understanding um, bisexuality largely down to the whole sex thing we've talked about many times before, the word sex in there. But yeah, I, I think they do. Fi- I think people just do find it too, you know, because everything has to be simplified today and, and bisexuality is so complex. But for me, that's what makes it fascinating. Can you imagine a drama series that was literally about bisexual people, young bisexual people in particular, but it could be any age, but, you know, going out, meeting people, getting to know people, the struggles and the issues that they come up with. And when you think about the issues and things we've talked about just in the first 17 episodes of this series, you know, can you imagine that in drama format? You know what I mean? I think it would it would be really interesting, the twists and the changes and the, you know, it'd be, it'd be fantastic. And I, I often think it's, I just think it's very disappointing that, that the, that the, the the TV, radio, film, 
writing world just feels nervous about it. I find it quite find it quite odd go on Lewis go I was going to say I'm excited for this reboot of Sex and the City to see if Carrie Bradshaw's learned anything about bisexuality in 20 years <laughs> you would hope so they were terrible she was a sex columnist and she like didn't believe bisexuality was a thing her friend Samantha was clearly bisexual she's like oh she's a lesbian this month and then oh no she's back on the men now so how, how did you get a qualification like how, how? so let's see if she's learned how did she get a qualification and how did she afford that apartment and all those shoes on a writer's <laughs> salary? Because, Lewis, you and I know that it's a far stretch. Because me and you don't have that lifestyle. I know. But I do, I do wonder, I do wonder whether, again, it comes down to the issue of purely the issue of sex in the sense that it's very easy now to see uh, a gay couple... Uh, whether it be two men or two women, uh, in a sort of heteronormative kind of way, in the sense they're in a coupling, they get married, they do all the things that everyone else does and all the rest of it. Whereas uh, with bisexuals, although, yes, we know there are people who have settled down in monogamous relationships and all the rest of it, but let's face it, a bisexual's life really, if you're going to look at it across the piste, isn't boring. There's lots of interesting things out there, and it will include an element of sex. There will, we, you, they would have to tackle that issue in some respects somewhere along the line. I don't necessarily mean sex physically, but emotionally as well, and things like that. And I think that's where the problem comes that they just can't get the the head around that. And I also think there's an element of the happy ever after, right? So you look at most films and stories, and it's you know, whatever it is, it's usually there's a happy ever after. And the happy ever after for bisexuals can look a million different ways based on, oh, no, they want to be single or they want to be with a man or they want to be with a woman or whoever the person is or whatever, whatever. And I think that when I was watching that first episode of It's a Sin, I was like, people are rooting for like, they've come out, they're gay, that they've accepted themselves, they've found a boyfriend, it's like a, they've won. Whereas I think with bisexuals, they feel like it's a bit trickier of like, well, are are they having their happy ever after? And it's like, yes, like they're happy. Um, so I think there's an element of that in there where people need it really simple, beginning, middle, end, unhappy, journey, happy. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's because there, it's because there is no, yeah, there's no beginning, middle, and end. There's no, um, there's no easy answers to anything. Um, you might get couples who um, I don't know because we've never done research really, but and I know there are a lot of open relationships in the gay world, but there are probably a fair few more in the in the bisexual or pansexual world, there may be more than, you know, we don't know. I mean, we don't know the statistics, but I think people f- still find that hard to get their head round. They don't get it, yeah. you know what I mean? And and so I think we've got we've got a lot of um, educating to do, but, you know, all credit to Russell T. Davis. I think he's, you know, he's done a really good job and, and uh, uh, great to remind everybody of what happened back then. And I thought the characters were great. I mean, the the the, the, you know, the all the young guys in it. I don't know about you, but I recognise all of them as as people I've known in the gay scene. You know that you know you know the, there's the, those characters exist. You know what I mean? They they are there. They're out there, aren't they? You know what I mean? Uh, it's, but you know the what you know the the ones who are finding their way and suddenly they're very timid, but then suddenly become very flamboyant and very you know extra gay, as it were. You know what I mean? Um, which I thought was quite, you know, quite, quite good. So, uh, yeah. Now, finally then, uh, last time we uh, ended the show by talking about what you would call a group of bisexuals um, because there doesn't seem to be a word for it. And um, 
Uh, Nikki, what was it you called it last time? I called it a fiddle of bisexuals, but I've decided that I don't think that is as memorable as it could be. So I'd like to rename that and say a discombobulation of bisexuals is what I'm going for now. <laughs> what does discombobulation mean? It means when you're all over the place at sixes and sevens and you don't know what's going on. Yeah, that pretty sums it up, sums it up doesn't it? And what was, your, what was yours last time, uh, Lewis? Mine was an eclipse. An eclipse. That's good. Because they're good. rare. Have you thought of a new one? Have you got a new one? I was toying with a crossover of bisexuals because it's kind of like, you know, in TV shows where they have a crossover and a crossover event. It's this epic thing. It's the best of everyone, but it's rare. But you get the best characters. It's, it's the same thing with bisexuals. You get the best, you get the best ones. Right. Well, we, we, we asked people on Twitter about... Well, we didn't ask people on Twitter about it, actually. They were listening to the show and, and offered their suggestions. So we had a pride of bisexuals. Uh, a blaze of bisexuals. Oh, that's quite good. And an orgy of bisexuals. No, that's too easy. That's too obvious. But I like a blaze of bisexuals. I'll buy into that one. And then somebody else said that they discussed it a while back um, about gays, lesbians and bisexuals. And they, they came up with a, um, a, a gaggle of gays, a flock of lesbians and a school of bisexuals. There you go. <laughs> A schooling of bisexuals, yeah. And that came that came with various other comments on that particular day from various people saying that uh, the last episode was such a good such a good show. So we've been getting some great great, great feedback and some lovely um, emails and letters, haven't we, Lewis, from different people, particularly guys who um, are in the forties and fifties who say that you know this show is helping them to uh, come to terms with their bisexuality. Um, quite moving, some of them, Lewis, aren't they? Oh, they really are. I mean, guys, we love fan fan mail, but honestly, on a serious note, it is. It, I mean, it's one of those things where you realise that in some ways you're some people's only outlet, and that actually we are helping here. We're not just having a, a natter for natter's sake. That actually the issues that we're discussing, people don't have anyone else to talk to them about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we're. Oh God, heaven forbid. Are we? We're becoming role models. Oh no, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> no, perish. I don't the think thought. we should be role models. No, we should be more of like the the bottom standard. Like the only way is up. Roll over models, maybe. Roll over, Roll models, over yeah. models. <laughs> okay, well that's bisexual brunch for this week. If you've got any comments, thoughts, musings, do get in touch with us at, at bisexual brunch on Twitter. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you later. Bye for now. That's that then, and we just need Lewis's payoff, which has become now a standard uh, part of the show. Um, in the old days, when you remember, do you remember the TV series Crossroads? Crossroads, yeah. whenever it finished right at the, t- at the you remember it had wobbly sets. Well, right at the end, Crossroads would finish, the music would finish, and it would you'd always go back to one last scene, which was always done really badly and live and, and whatever. This is the equivalent of. Uh, of our uh, crossroads. <laughs> so, Lewis, what's the uh, what? What? what Gone. Tell. Give us your your words of wisdom today. Right, guys. I feel inspired after this. I am actually going to go and finish my first bisexual article of 2021. COVID be damned. I'm going to knock it right off the news agenda. I'm going to go get out my pen and paper right now. This program is an MIM production. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. Thank you.